Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Coeo Conversations podcast. My name's Justin Langford. I'm one of the directors at Coeo, and in this podcast series, we'll be chatting to experts within Coeo, within our customers, and domain experts in SQL Server, Power BI, and Azure to give you insights and help you improve your own practice, knowledge, and skills. In this episode, we're going to be talking to a principal consultant at Coeo, David Morrison, and I'm going to be talking to David about how he got started with his career in BI, changes he'd seen during his time uh, working in BI analytics, and any advice he'd give for individuals looking to get started out in BI. So I'll hand over and ask David to introduce himself. Yeah, hi, so I'm David Morrison, principal consultant at Coeo. I've been with Coeo probably about two years now, uh, and I focus primarily on the business intelligence and analytics side of the business. Great. And the subject of our discussion today, David, is going to be really around perceptions and observations of changes in the analytics market and in customer demand. But I wonder if we can wind back sort of early in your career and if you can tell us your background, really, and just help us. How did you get into BI, were you a software developer? Had you worked in infrastructure? Where did you get started? Yeah, so way back when, making myself feel very old, I was a software developer, so came out of college, got an apprenticeship back in the days when that was a thing, uh, as a Delphi developer. Right. And I was working alongside sort of using Sybase databases and SQL Server. Right. Uh, then sort of progressed through that, did that for about five, six years. Progressed through that into more database-focused roles and more into SQL Server. Did a little bit of MySQL for my sins, but sort of came back to SQL Server. And then kind of eventually that evolved into BI. So sort of, I guess, the way most people start is, oh, let's do a, an SSIS report or mm. something like that. Um, maybe looking at SSIS and then, yeah, moved into an actual proper BI consultancy role. Wow, probably 10 years ago now. Okay. Um, yes, that's kind of how I've ended up here. So, so you transitioned from Delphi into the Microsoft stack and Microsoft products pretty early in your career, did you? Well, yeah. So I did Delphi for about six years alongside Microsoft SQL Server and Sybase. Did a little bit of crystal reports and reporting services as it was back then. And then more migrated into SQL Server and sort of the actual pure SQL Server stack using trace services, reporting services, those kinds of things. And was that a conscious choice to kind of focus your career around Microsoft or or was that a byproduct that the company that you were working for at the time were a Microsoft shop? I think it was a kind of a natural evolution. It wasn't anything I ever particularly pointed myself at. Okay. Um, it just seemed to be the prevalence of the technologies and the industries and the jobs I got kind of earlier on in my career had those technologies. Yeah. Uh, and I guess once you spend so much time with a thing, you become to know and love it. So you yeah. end up sort of following it. So I guess after probably the first couple of proper full roles I had, it was I kind of then focused on Microsoft after that. But... I, mean, you know, I guess when you're that age, you don't necessarily have a thing you're going to follow. Yeah. And that was kind of, yeah, just sort of floated and then, yeah, picked the, picked the Microsoft stack from there. And you must have seen a lot of change in the Microsoft product capability and, and kind of roadmap and evolution to the cloud, I guess. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I worked with Sybase back in the day um, and very, very early versions of SQL Server when it was DTS and SQL Server 2000 right. and all those yeah. good things. And yeah, I mean, there, you know, there were times when uh, it was a difficult conversation to have about why should we use SQL Server, mm. why should we use their inbuilt tools. You know, they were functional and actually they were powerful tools. 
tools, but they weren't always that nice to use. You know, anyone that's used Report Builder, things like that, will obviously know what I mean. But yeah, I guess kind of more coming up to today, it's it's not even a conversation we really need to have now. You know, it's not we don't have to knock on people's doors and say, hey, look at SQL Server. It's we're using SQL Server. Can you help us? And it, uh, the focus of the conversation has changed. I think. And do you think that focus has changed because Microsoft have done an amazing job on? building brand credibility or do you think that customers don't care what product or tech we use, they just want the outcome? I think the latter actually. I think what Microsoft have done very well is adjusted to the market and kind of ridden the wave of data and analytics because it's you know it's all the, the big buzz thing at the moment yeah. well it has been for quite a while and they've actually they've kind of jumped on that and sort of read the market and adapted to it very well and I think better than pretty much all the other big vendors you know the oracles and then the Teradatas and all those kind of people are still I think quite behind the times they don't seem to be keeping up you know if you look at the Gartner Magic Quadrants for yeah. example Microsoft just are always in that top right hand corner and yeah. no one seems to be able to get anywhere near them so yeah I think they've they've done a really good job of riding the wave and, and adjusting to the technology in the markets. Yeah, that's true. But I also remember a long period when there was no investment in SQL Server reporting services. Customers were getting incredibly frustrated and that created a lot of opportunity for Cognos, Click, Tableau. And they really you know, won that market in the early days. Very much so, yeah. And it, like I say, it was a difficult conversation to have. You know, why why should we use reporting services? Why should we use SQL Server? You know, it doesn't seem to be getting any love. You know, it would, it would they get a new version with the new version of SQL Server, but the features were minimal. You know, you'd get, oh, now we've got rounded edges on RSSIS in part components, not square ones, and now, now we can undo. And they weren't pulling up any trees. They weren't really doing anything of any... Quite superficial changes. Yeah, it wasn't really, you know, they weren't breaking any new ground and they were, you know, they, my, certainly my opinion and the opinion of people that I was sort of involved with and talking to was that Microsoft were reactive rather than proactive. So a thing would come about and then a year or a year and a half later it would be in the Microsoft stack somehow. And so they were kind of, you know, riding on coattails essentially mm. of, of other vendors. But I think now that's changed and it's kind of the other way around. And I guess part of that challenge was the cadence and release frequency of a boxed product where Microsoft, as I understand it, often had features that were code complete and ready to ship, but they weren't going to ship for another six months or a year because, uh, and synchronizing kind of analytics, uh, analysis services features and core engine and SSRS and SSIS features and making a release, the obstacles there were pretty significant. Yeah, I think they, you know, I think the teams were quite disconnected Mm. back in those days. You know, I think that's one thing that Microsoft were quite poor at, I guess, at the time was kind of not the teams being quite ring fenced and isolated and even in instances where they were very closely related products you know they didn't seem to talk to each other enough yeah. and like you say kind of syncing up those features just seemed to be seemed to be really difficult to get right and to do in a timely manner mm. and power bi has been the nuclear on the block although it's been around for four or five years now, <laughs> it's been quite disruptive to vendors like Tableau, Cognos, Click, but it's actually changed the way that companies like Microsoft deliver software mm. and customers consume that software as well. Yeah, yeah. you know, I think that you know, the Tableaus and the Cognoses and the Clicks of the world were in a little bit of a one-horse race. Mm. You know, they, obviously it was those guys, but and there was some competition between those guys, but they almost kind of set the 
the way the world was in terms of price point and release cycles and all these kind of things. And it was very old school, right? It was you, you pay X amount of thousand pounds for a handful of licenses and we'll give you a new version every year. And it was old school software development mm. approaches. And that was kind of the way the world was. And then when Power BI came along, it was this kind of brand new concept of, hey, look, we're going to give you something new every month. And, so, you know, it's a service. So you, you pay us a small fee every month rather than these massive one-off licensing costs and you know it, it becomes OPEX not CAPEX and, and all that kind of good stuff and yeah I mean it's it's definitely changed the way and that people work with things and I think it's also fed into culture and, and what I mean by that is is that we're in a culture now where every, everybody wants everything yesterday they don't want to have to wait for anything it's this culture of instant gratification and yeah. that's not particularly a great thing but Actually, the way that Power BI works is that it fits into that culture of, you know, you're getting new stuff every month and, hey, look at all this new cool stuff. And if there's issues, they get fixed quickly. And so it fits into that culture of, of kind of that instant gratification and the... And the, the immediacy. And, immediacy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess thinking of culture, going back to, to the early years of your career, like the, the ability of someone in a finance department or a marketing role or a planning, you know, product product planning kind of type role in an organization to access data and to have available data in the format reflecting the, the granularity that they need across the time period that they need. Yeah. That would often require interaction with someone in IT and development resource to be planned and scheduled uh, released to be tested and, and made available uh, and how drastic and how significant have you seen Power BI in kind of changing the way that end users interact with data? Yeah I mean it's been you know it sounds like a massive buzzword but it's been kind of revolutionary like you say back in the day it was all very IT led very IT focused those individuals were, were generally very expensive resources and it was a, a massive IT or the technical individuals were a massive bottleneck Whereas now, anyone can go and download Power BI Desktop, they can pull in some Excel files, do a little bit of analysis, produce reports. You know, it's changed the paradigm of the way that that goes in that a lot of these initiatives used to be IT-led or, you know, upper management-led in that, hey, we think we need this thing, here it is. Whereas now it's more, you know, Bob in Finance has created this really cool-looking report and now we need that to be business applicable and appropriate and secure and centralized and so actually the engagements and the, the projects are actually generally more triggered from the guys on the ground in the trenches than actually the, the guys at the top of the ladder. So, so and I guess um, that's an interesting observation that the shifting control of those projects or sponsorship of those projects has moved from being an IT-led project into a business-led project. Is that right? Is that accurate? I think so. I mean, I think more, absolutely business are more engaged in it. I think more for me, the things are driven by the end users. And what I mean by that is not necessarily that they're sponsored by those people, but that actually these people are the the catalyst or the trigger okay. into these things becoming projects essentially whereas previously it was it was quite a big business decision to go we need a data warehouse and therefore it's going to be x amount of months and x amount of pounds and you're going to need this amount of technical individuals 
Whereas now it's, you know, as I say, Bob in finance has picked up a, a Power BI desktop. He's imported some of his spreadsheets and he's made this really cool dashboard. And, oh, wow, that's awesome. And now let's go build a data warehouse. So mm. it's rather than from being sort of management down, it's kind of from the trenches up. Yeah. Um, and, yes, I think there has been a shift in, in the business wanting to be involved in these things more as well because you don't have to be technical to understand these things. So, uh, you know, as with anything, if you're going to sponsor a thing, you need to feel like you're involved and understand it. Business users and business managers don't necessarily want to be throwing money at a thing they don't understand or can't get their hands on and be involved with. So actually, from that perspective, it does help drive business managers, business users, non-technical people to sponsor these projects. Sounds good. And, and I guess a question that's related, but almost the reflection of that point of how many occasions do you see where Power BI is almost a victim of its own success and it's not a unicorn solution, which is a complete analytics platform on your desktop? And how often do you see customers that trivialize a BI analytics project because they think that uh, Bob in finance in an hour can build a dashboard. Therefore, why is it going to take you three weeks or three months to do something that's enterprise grave? Absolutely, it happens with Power BI. I, I don't think it's a unique thing to Power BI. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, even back in the early days, traditionally, it was like, yeah, you know, it's going to take us, you know, four months or a month or three months to get you this this suite of reports and you know the the objection you get a lot of the time would people would turn around and go well I can build it in an hour in Excel so why is it going to take you four months and that's the same with Power BI right you know like you say Bob's built his his dashboard in in an hour or two days and you're telling me it's going to take you three months and and why is that and that's not a technology problem that's an understanding problem and like you say it's it's more around the individuals understanding that process and, and and understanding that Power BI isn't the isn't the mass of the project. Power BI is the sort of the icing on the cake, and actually the ninety percent of the effort is underneath the hood of the cake is the the data warehouse. You know, the properly dimensionally modeled data warehouse, the semantic layer analysis services, the the ETL in, in Data Factory, or you know, Databricks and those kinds of things. So it's it's just around the, the individuals understanding the benefit you get for that investment of time in you know the three months, and mm. you get the single version of the truth. I don't like that term, but you get a centralized repository yeah. of data, and, and all of your security is managed centrally. So if you've got low-level security, it's all in one place. You know your your data is managed and monitored and cleansed centrally through an automated process in in ADF or whatever. So. Yeah, absolutely, Power BI has that levelled at it, but I don't think it's Power BI specific. I think what will come with things like data flows in, in Power BI now as well is that that will become worse yeah. because it's like, well, we don't need a data warehouse anymore because we can do all our ETL and all our model and everything in Power BI. And technically, yes, you can, but that's going to fall down at some point because it's not enterprise grade. You know, I, I look at BI or Power BI, if you want to put it in that context, in, in three phases. You have sort of personal, group, and enterprise. So sort of personal is 
I've got a, a Power BI report, I've built it, and it's for, for my purposes only. I might show it to Brenda, who sat next door to me. You've then got kind of group BI, which is, okay, I've built this dashboard and I've shared it, and maybe it's just, you know, I've imported some data. Maybe I'm querying a database directly, but, you know, it's not really enterprise-ready because I'm, and I'm only sharing it with a small group of people. And then when you've got the sort of enterprise level where it needs to be organizational, it needs to be standardized, secure, all of that stuff, that's when you move into needing a proper dimensionally model data warehouse, you need analysis services and all those kinds of things and and for me it's around the scale and the breadth of the solution mm. uh, that you progress through those steps so you mentioned a number of aspects that are critical to projects being successful like data governance um, single version of the truth or a central repository uh, dimensional modeling um, and a whole lot of things which are broadly non-technical, so they're not product-specific, right? You would still need to do that stuff regardless of whether you're on a Microsoft stack or somewhere else. Yeah. If someone's getting started in BI in their career, maybe they're a software developer, like you were working on client-server apps or web apps, and they're interested in moving into BI, how would you... Uh, it's relatively easy for them to learn the technical skills that they need for data factory and yeah. uh, T-SQL development and, and Power BI, but there's a lot of non-technical skills that are prerequisite of a successful and effective BI project. Thinking back to when you learn those skills and you know someone embarking now, what sort of what would you tell yourself if you could go back in time, knowing what you know now about how to learn those skills? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I'd say is go and get the Kimball methodology right. book. Yeah. That thing was, and still is, to be honest, my, my, my Bible in terms of design and, and architecture. You know, it's written absolutely from a, a purist data scientist sort of view, but it's invaluable for learning the Kimball methodology. I think that's the thing is that, you know, you, you go to so many places, especially as, as consultants, and they go, oh, we've got a data warehouse. And, and you go and look at it, and there's a bunch of tables that are called fact this and dim this, but they're not dims and facts, they're just tables with those words on them. And putting, okay. those, putting those words on them don't make them dims and facts. Um, you know, they are essentially third normal form tables that you've called dim and fact. And, uh, and, and that's one of the big things that, that I find personally when we go into places where an individual or individuals have built what they call a data warehouse, that they're not dimensionally modelled in any way. They're not Kimball, they're not Inman, uh, and that thing. And, and it seems to be a bit of a dying skill. And the reason for that is I think that technology lets you get away with it. All technologies let you get away with it. Yeah. But again, it's a, it, I think it's a victim of its own success. And you know, things like Power BI and, and analysis services to a degree let you put stuff in them that isn't right from a modeling and design perspective. And, and it'll absolutely work to a degree to serve as a handful of reports. Mm. But what you'll find is that you'll get a couple of months down the line and you'll realize that it's not flexible, it's not scalable, the maintainability is a nightmare because it's not been modeled and designed properly. So go and learn those dimensional modeling skills. You know, go and understand the Kimball methodology. Run through some examples. You know, um, just that, that, for me, that's probably the most important soft skill um, away from sort of actually technology. We work at a consultancy doing project-based delivery for customers building BI analytics solutions. And I, I think there's a valuable kind of consideration or discussion point with IT leaders around what skill and expertise should they have on staff versus what skill and expertise should they buy in. What's your view on achieving the right balance 
between skills that you hire versus skills that you have on the payroll. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it, it you know, it really depends on the size of the business and the, and the commitment to that aspect of of IT. Um, you know, if you're a if you're a you know a large bank or a you know any kind of large institute, then you should probably have a majority of that stuff in house, and should you know should call in consultancies like us when you need that sort of top. You know, you need to get that last five percent out because that's you know what we're design there. reviews and validation. Yeah, you know, a second pair of eyes, but also maybe just that little extra five percent of skills that you just you just can't get. You know, yeah. you, you find that this, especially at the moment, the market's very. There's a skills gap in the market, uh, and you know, finding people that have those levels of skills to that sort of five percent degree are very hard to come by. So, if you're in that sort of large business thing, then then absolutely, you should probably build that own department. If you're in the sort of the, the smaller organisations, the SMBs, the medium-sized businesses, then you know, it's a balancing act. You probably don't you, you don't need a top-end architects and designers and individuals with you know. For example, with my level of expertise or, or experience, because uh, it's it's not cost efficient. You're mm. going to have a data warehouse or a couple of data warehouses that are probably not going to need that much modification. You just need maybe one or two developers, you know, some DBAs, whatever, to keep keep on top of it and maintain it and manage it. And you can call consultancies back in if you ever need to do anything big, because I think from a you know a cost efficiency point of view, that's probably where that lives just because you don't have the work for those individuals to do. Well, I guess keeping people that are experienced and got a wide range of implementations under their belt, they're not going to be motivated or satisfied by kind of operating an existing platform. Yeah. So it might be a good opportunity to bring in some report developers or Power BI developers, but the yeah. kind of data modelling and the back-end infrastructure is it's a once-in-a-generation type, and I mean generation of a solution yeah. rather than of an individual or a company. Yeah. So um, it's something which you do, and if it's done right, should be fairly long-lived. Right? Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, you know, like you say, you'll go and you'll build it and it'll be BAU sort of tick over for 95%. You know, you might want to add a field here or a field there, but you don't need... You know, like you say, these are sort of more the more top end individuals to do mm. that, and, and like you say, they'll get bored. You know, yeah. they'll they'll pull their hair out and they'll 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 get bored and they'll leave because yeah. they won't want to sit there stagnating, letting their skill set stagnate. Mm. Um, whereas you know, with a more of a sort of a mid level or entry level developer, that's brilliant because they get in, they come to learn the solution, they can skill up in the technologies in a relatively safe environment. Mm. So that's that that would be the kind of level of individual you'd need on site for that for yourselves. Yeah, and I guess. You've had a long career in consultancy and maybe you can talk to some of the reasons why you like working for a consultancy over an end customer and we might have covered some of those already. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things, you know, I, I occasionally submit sessions to, to conferences that sort of say, you know, on the title of, you know, what, what's, what's it like being a consultant? And it's one of those things. I, I personally, I love it. It's For me, it's the variety and the... And the the different challenges, meeting the new people, being able to keep on top of all the new technologies, and, and you know, like you say, not sort of not not stagnating. And because I'm at that point now where I'm just sitting and staring at a data warehouse, I'm not. I'm personally not going to get anything out of that. But yeah, for me, it's more around the, the variety and just kind of the keeping on top of the new technologies um, and, and being involved in those sort of you know those greenfield environments. Because if you're on site you're, or you're sorry, you're a permanent employee, those greenfield opportunities are very rarely going to come around. Yeah, sure. right? So because it's it's going to be maintaining and, and modifying existing solutions. 
And I guess that kind of being at the leading edge of always implementing new solutions is an opportunity and a burden in terms of maintaining your skill set and the, the platform, you know, Azure and Power BI is a forever moving target. Yeah, it's one of those things. I think it's certainly probably in the last three plus years, the speed at which things come around mm. is, is, you know, blinding and trying to keep up with that, as you say, is, is, is almost impossible. You certainly can't keep up with everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think if you think back probably, you know, I don't know, five, you know, five to 10 years ago, you were able to be an expert to a degree across a reasonably wide range of technologies because they were quite slow moving and new ones didn't really come along that often. But now, there is, I don't think there's anyone in existence that could sit there and say, I am an expert in all Azure or even all Azure data analytics yeah. offerings because they're so big, there's so many of them and they change so frequently. Yeah. You know, you can be proficient in, in all of them, but you're never going to be able to keep on top of them all to that degree. And that's at a moment in time, right? Because yeah. next week, next month, that target's moving. Well, that's it. You know, and, you know, that's I guess that's one of the other nice things about consultancy is that you get the opportunity to keep on top of that. You know, especially at Coeo, we're given a lot of opportunity to do that, to keep on top of the technologies and to make sure that we're able to best service the clients and you know make the best recommendations and, and produce the best solutions, essentially. Hmm. And you mentioned community involvement a little bit earlier. Can you talk a bit about, I, I know that you've done a bunch of user group and SQL bits presentations about you know how that all started and what got you involved in the community in the first place? Yeah, it was, uh, blimey, I'm trying to think how many years ago now it was. Um, it was, yeah, it was a long time ago. I was working actually for a, for a different consultancy for my sins and one of the directors of that consultancy were a, uh, were a board member at SQL bits and they were very much encouraging everyone to, to become involved in, in that environment and that community. And I, I kind of got dropped in the deep end a little bit. I got given the first time I ever spoke ever was a, a sequel bits on, oh, a, wow. on a Saturday. And they put me in the biggest room in the place. It was in Brighton. Okay. Yeah. And it was in the, it was this big like amphitheater room because it was yeah. the, you know the old Royal Grand thing. The Victorian hotel, yeah. really high ceilings and big rooms. Yeah. Uh, and the room was like rammed with people. And like I, I watched the video back now and it's hilarious because what was the topic? I think it was something like I think it was titled the dark art aka query performance tuning or okay. something like that nice. um, there's back back then I was I was very focused on SQL Server performance tuning and mm. query plans and all those kinds of things and yeah so watching the video back you sort of see I'm, I you know I can absolutely tell that I'm terrified you know <laughs> sort of speaking at the speed of light and you know sort of bouncing around on stage and all those kind of things but yeah it was it was an interesting interesting involvement and I, I did it and it was you know I guess when you get into it you calm down a little bit and mm. when I finished it I was like that was amazing I love it and I've kind of been involved with it ever since really yeah done I'm trying to I was trying to think the other day how many sequel bits I've done but it was probably probably six I think six sequel okay. bits, maybe seven and more user groups and, and sequel Saturdays and sequel relays and things that I can count yeah but I you know I, I really enjoy it, it uh, for me it's you know, it's nice to share your knowledge, um, but I've made some really good friends through the community as well. Like, like you can you can go to any of these events now, and there's always a handful of people that you know that will run up and shake your hand or give you a hug, and you, yeah. you know you just know these people, and they're kind of like an extended family to a degree. Mm. And you know they're always happy to see you, and there's always someone to sit and have a chat and have a drink with. And so I think that's really nice, a nice element of it. And it's also good for your career and stuff like that, you know, because there's always there's always going to be people if you need help with things you can call on, or if you 
you're ever looking for opportunities, there's always individuals that, you know, if, if anything ever went wrong with the company you're working for, there's always places to go and speak to. So it's good. And it's good for the company you're working for because yeah. they get exposure, you know, they get their name on your slides and all that good stuff as well. So yeah, I think everyone really benefits. And, you know, as long as it's not something that absolutely terrifies you. And to be honest, even if it is something that terrifies you, just give it a go, you know, yeah. and if you hate it, that's fine. But it's one of those things I think you, you regret the things you didn't do more than the things you did. So. Um, where would you recommend someone get started? So, so, you know, speaking at Sequel Bits, you know, the, it was a big deal for you at that time. <laughs> yeah. And it's an even bigger deal now because it's a bigger conference with thousands of attendees and, yeah. you know, a, a multi-day event now. So that's a, a bold goal, but, you know, that would be really uh, ambitious. But also, you know, I would encourage our new generation of, uh, of engineers and consultants to with that goal. But mm. what, what are the stepping stones? How do they get started? I think, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I think start smaller, ideally. Yeah. Um, you know, user groups, uh, you know, local, there's so many local user groups now. You know, there's the one here in Koyo we do, the Reading one. There's, you know, they're all over the Southampton. There's, the, you know, they're, they're all over the place. So, you know, submit to those. Those are, There's a smaller groups. They're always really nice, friendly people. Yeah. Uh, there's much less judgment and pressure of those things. You know, some of the big conferences also do lightning talks or five minutes, little mini sessions that you can do uh, just to get a flavour of it. Mm. So, yeah, sort of start small, I guess. Just submit a session to a to a user group or to even to something like a SQL Saturday or those kind of things because even those things generally tend to be less intense and there's less expectation on those things uh, and those those events generally try out new speakers more readily than yeah. than the bigger events do for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, sort of user groups and yeah, sort of SQL Saturdays or, or Lightning talks would probably be the best place to go. Great, sounds good. That's been really useful to get your perspective and to learn a bit more about your career and your journey and, and what you see in the market. Uh, just before we conclude, one of the things that we're asking each of the people that we'll interview as part of this podcast series to, to offer is, is a resource or, or a, um, a book, blog, podcast, something that they find invaluable that other listeners might find useful. So is there something you can think of that you, that you, wouldn't, you couldn't live without that's really useful? It's interesting. I mean, I think from from a resources perspective, um, you know, going a cube or Alberto Ferrari or, or those kind of guys, because um, they, they literally wrote the books on things yeah. like Power BI and DAX. From a tooling perspective, um, the Redgate tools are amazing, like SQL Prompt, those kind of things. That you know, if you're writing T SQL, uh, it feels like you've got an arm missing when you have to mm. write it without it. So it makes life so much easier. Things like Azure Data Studio just coming about, really cool, really interesting tool set, and you know, really involved with using that as well. And, you know, things like your storage explorer those, those kind of things it just depends but I mean those those kind of core technologies and, and those individuals were kind of the resources I would point new people at if they were coming in as sort of fresh great awesome that's been really useful thanks very much David thank you for having me